0: Take your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Ephesians. We're actually going to begin a brand new study. Now this will be uh, my first book study with you. Our plan at this time is to start and go through the entire book of Ephesians. Now it doesn't mean we won't uh, take a few rabbit trails along the way, but as for now, we're going to uh, dive into this book. And so uh, as you turn there, I want to give you a little background of what's going on. Uh, And I think it's very important to to understand um, who's doing the writing, who are they writing to, what's going on in the culture during the time of this writing. So imagine with me that here's the Apostle Paul, and at the time of this writing, somewhere around AD 60, 62, Paul has been on several missionary journeys that's taken him through Asia Minor. He has served in the church at Ephesus for three years, Um, probably around a second time going through that area. He left it in the hands of Aquila and Priscilla to establish the ministry there. And so now Paul is writing what we refer to as the prison epistles, the prison letters. He is in prison. He's in Rome. And at times, uh, here's Paul, he's on house arrest, but yet he still had the freedom to write letters and continue to minister to people from even the confines of prison. Oftentimes it wasn't unusual for him to be chained to a Roman soldier. And I think it's important for us to have this picture in mind, especially as we move through the book of Ephesians. When we get into the armor of God, the picture makes a lot more sense when you know he's writing as he looks over and there's a Roman soldier. So imagine, here's Paul, under house arrest, writing, probably what has happened, Epaphras who was one of the founders of the Colossian church, has come to Rome. He has conveyed to Paul all that's been going on in the area. And so that's why Paul is now led and prompted by the Holy Spirit to pen not only the letter to the Ephesians, but also the the letter of, of the book of Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. So these would all probably have gone out about the same time. Now it's highly likely that Tychicus uh, is the one who delivers this letter back uh, to the people in Ephesus. Now, with that picture in mind, with that background, what about this land? What about Asia Minor? What about the city of Ephesus? Well, you can imagine, as you look at this picture, and this is a modern picture of the Aegean Sea, but Ephesus was a city that was the central hub. I mean, this was the place of all places. This was probably the fourth largest city in the world at this time when Paul had made his missionary journeys through this area. All the ships would come into port. And the Roman roads, the famous Roman roads would carry not only all of the goods that would come in off the ships to the eastern part of the world, also the western part of the world. Ephesus was located directly in between these two continents where, again, everyone would often come to because it was not only uh, an economical uh, city as far as as its power, it, it it was a place Um, where also education was uh, one of its big draws. But probably the biggest drawing factor to the city of Ephesus was its pagan worship. Very wicked place, which isn't that oftentimes the case. The large cities, um, there's large sin, so to speak. There's a lot to uh, get yourself in trouble in in the big cities. Well, that's the way Ephesus was. In fact, as we'll look at some scriptures this morning, we'll find out just how dark this place was. It was a very occultic area. A lot of magic and sorcery was practiced in this area. You may recall one of the seven wonders of the world was found there. It was the temple to Artemis, the goddess Diana. And the legend has it, Some people believe uh, that uh, she fell from heaven, and that's why the temple was established there to worship. The god Zeus sent her down. Well, probably what they saw was a meteorite, and they probably found uh, the meteor rock, and they established worship and made images of what they thought was a woman, and you can look into the history of uh, this practice, of this uh, religious pagan practice, and you'll find that uh, she was known as the god of fertility. And so they established a very wicked worship. They had uh, a priest, and they would have these uh, priestesses, and there was a lot of debauchery that would go on in the temple worship, Um, a lot of sexual immorality uh, within this temple worship. But it was uh, an area where many from all around the world would come and flock to, uh, to participate in this pagan religion. And so this is what Paul would have been ministering to when he went into the city. And in fact, we'll see in Scripture, because Paul was faithful to go to these people and carry the gospel many were saved and converted. In fact, a revival broke out in such a way that the people began to forsake their pagan practices. And that's exactly what we want to look at uh, this morning. Ephesus, uh, it's in the province of Asia Minor. It's known today modern Turkey. This is where it would be. It's where the east met the west. Uh, Take your Bibles, actually. Hold your spot there in Ephesians But to give us sort of more of this background picture and what's going on, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 19. And I want to read some some more of of what Paul experienced in this land. I'll begin my reading in, in Acts chapter 19, verse 1. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on Him who would come after Him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. Now, I'm not going to elaborate, this isn't my text this morning, but I do want to clear uh, this up, that these were followers of John. They had been baptized with John's uh, uh, baptism, and they had not yet placed their saving faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So when they did, that's why they followed in what we would call believer's baptism. And as a believer, that is what we should do in the next step of obedience. Now, there are other passages that would tell us it wasn't the laying on of hands necessarily that is significant here. Paul is identifying with them when he does that. But the point is, these guys put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and went out and began to teach others um, about Christ. Let's continue on. Then um, when they, the, it, it tells that there was 12 in all, verse 8, and when... He went into the synagogues and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyranus. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. And he didn't even charge them. But anyways... Uh, every time I see those guys on TV, I can't help but chuckle. Then some of the, uh, in the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them uh, overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. So everyone in Ephesus knew about this happening. So that's important, to, again, to understand. They know this guy Paul has come there. They know that, that uh, people have seen and heard of these miracles that Paul is doing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it became so uh, apparent that others were trying to preach or cast out demons, in this case, uh, in the name of Jesus. So it says, verse 17, This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Now, this is probably a day's worth of wages per person. And it's it's been estimated that over 50,000 of these uh, books um, were burnt. And so you think about what is starting to happen in the city of Ephesus, this wicked place. Now, I don't know if any of you heard recently, it made national news. And don't you just love it when national news always puts forth that Christian Uh, to represent us that probably wouldn't know the Lord if he walked up and smacked them. And I don't know if you noticed this or not, but there was a church in Canton, North Carolina um, that had a book burning on Halloween. And uh, they were going to burn any translation that was not a King James Bible. And uh, they wanted to burn all the Rick Warren books they could get their hands on and some other Christian authors that they uh, didn't deem Christian enough according to, to them. But uh, the, the article said that all 14 members showed up <laughs> for their book burning. Uh, that's not what was going on here. I'm sure they thought they were uh, you know, doing something biblical, but uh, not the case. Clearly, uh, according to the text here, these were those who, who, who had been practicing uh, magic and they brought their books together, they burned them, Uh, A great amount of money had been spent on these books and a great number of people uh, showed up to do this. Now notice what kind of effect this had on the people. Verse 21, When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Nicaea, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Aristus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men... You know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, But also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now these guys are getting very upset because Paul's hitting them where it hurts, their pocketbook. Now they are acting like Diana is their goddess, but clearly we know who their god is the God of many of our people today. It's the God of money. So they're upset about this because Paul is messing up their business. So notice what happens. Verse 28. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana and the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. So just imagine what's going on. These, this, um, this guild has gotten together, a bunch of these, these silversmiths, and this one guy's incited a riot. Demetrius is, is, is raring them up. He's getting them upset to the point that they go into the streets and, and, and everybody's wondering, what's going on? What's going on? Come on! And the people are yelling and chanting and it's confusion. And they go and they apprehend Paul's traveling companions and they drag them down to the theater. Now notice what happens. Verse 32, Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours. Great is Diana of the Ephesians! Great is Diana of the Ephesians! Can you imagine? This went on for two hours. Chanting. The commotion, the confusion. These Christians being drug out and put forward, not knowing are they getting ready to be lynched and and killed for their faith. So, verse 35 says, And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, it took two hours, by the way, to quiet them, said, Men of Ephesus, What man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana, and of the image which fell down from Zeus. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here, who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Now this is probably like a modern day mayor, if you will, the leader of the people of that city. And so he finally stepped up and tried to reason with the mob and get them somewhat quieted and and calmed down. So again, you can see the emphasis that's put on the temple worship of the goddess Diana in this area. You can see the impact that the Apostle Paul has made in this city known as Ephesus. Look with me, if you would, to continue to lay some background information, which, by the way, I should have warned you, going into a book study, there's a lot of foundational groundwork that needs to be laid. And so that will help us as we go through this study of this book to better understand what's going on. So, if you'll notice with me, um, in verse uh, uh, chapter 20, verse 17, says, From Miletus uh, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them... Now, this is Paul talking to the elders, the church leaders of Ephesus... Notice his instructions. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing um, that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Let me stop there. So Paul, prior to his departure... Warned these men. He said, let me, let me tell you. There's going to be some folks that are going to come on the scene like wolves. False teachers that were going to creep in. Now, turn with me in your Bibles over to... Um, go to Revelation chapter 2. Not only had Paul been to this city, not only had Timothy and uh, many others, Aquila, Priscilla, there's also someone who had also written to these folks in Ephesus, the Apostle John. And we have what he wrote from the island of Patmos, which, by the way, I'll show you a slide in just a moment that will show you where Patmos was in relation to Ephesus. But look with me if you would, and if you don't have a Bible, uh, I'll put this up on the screen for you. Revelation 2, 1 through 7. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Now let me stop. John writes this 40 years after Paul had written the Ephesian letter. So Paul has long since been gone from from Ephesus, but remember what Paul strongly warned the men about. Be careful. There's false teachers going to try and come in. They're in a very evil, wicked city. So it seems like the report from what John has penned was a very good report. They had heeded Paul's warning and had stood their ground on defending against these false teachers. So... He goes on to say, he says, I know you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars, verse 3, and you have preserved and have, you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Think about that. They saw Paul's example. They knew that Paul's hands were innocent from all the blood because he had proclaimed... He had preached in the name of Jesus Christ. He had gone from person to person, house to house. And this no doubt impacted the people that Paul ministered to. But notice verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Well, let me back up for a minute. They had left their first love. And sometimes as you grow as a Christian, if you're not careful, the Bible says knowledge puffs up. Sometimes, I I think it's a two-edged sword. As we grow in God's grace, as we begin to grow and understand God's truth, I think oftentimes there's a danger that we forget where we came from. We forget how God has worked in our life. We forget the love of Christ. And that is what has happened here. Now, there were lots of things that they were commended on. I notice this verse 6 says to us that they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, who are the Nicolaitans? Well, it's believed that the Nicolaitans were a group that had sprung up, that were teaching false teachings. Um, They were a heretical group that had troubled the churches, not only at Ephesus, but also at Pergamos. They had practices in their religion that were immoral uh, and even idolatrous. The interesting thing is church fathers have traced the Nicolaitans back to Nicholas from Acts chapter 6... Verse 5. Now who were in Acts chapter 6? Somebody. The deacons. Nicholas is named as one of the men who was put forward as a spirit-filled man and put forth to do the work that was needed in that time. It's believed, early church fathers believed that some point along the way, he departed. And that's what led into the Nicolaitan group. Now, that shouldn't be too hard for us to think about. It um, wouldn't happen here because i got great deacons. But it happens in churches all the time. Don't you see the splinter groups? Don't you see this group? I mean, let's, let's look at the tree, and we have a lot of that that goes on. And oftentimes, um, as Scripture says, they, were, they weren't a part of us because if they were, they never would have gone out from us. But that was the case. The Nicolaitans were, were a group that were definitely practicing uh, wickedness. And so not only did these Ephesians stand firm uh, in, what they, uh, in what they taught and believed against these false teachers, but God commends them because He also hates them, their practices. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So, John has written. And notice, if you would, here you find, there's Ephesus, major port. All the folks coming in from here into Ephesus. All the roads that would go out and lead into the different land. And uh, here's Patmos. Now this is where John would have been cast to. Remember, he would not recant. He would not denounce the name of Christ. So they dipped him in hot oil burning his flesh nearly to the point of death and then cast him onto the island of Patmos. And that's where he wrote Revelation as God uh, moved his heart and pen to do so. And he wrote to these churches and you see how Ephesus is clearly the inroad to all of these. So, I lay all this foundation again because it's important for us to understand the big picture. So, with all that said, let's go back to the beginning. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Now, I'll let you already know you're in big trouble this morning. I don't know if you noticed, the clock's broke. (laughs) So, you could be here a while. Uh, Somebody said, I ain't, I'm gone anyway. No. I'm going to try and get through this. Just hang tight. You will be encouraged to know, Pastor, now you may want to write this one down. This is not the norm, I can promise you. Pastor is only preaching on two verses this morning. Hallelujah. Okay. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a lot right there in those two verses. A lot. And in fact, um, probably in this verse alone, I could pull probably at least four good sermons just out of what you see up on the screen, maybe even more. Some of the early uh, um, Puritan uh, teachers and preachers have written volumes on the book of Ephesians. A book that takes almost 19 minutes to read through, and yet volumes have been recorded. John Calvin, of course, has written uh, 40-some sermons, I think, in chapter 1 alone. I mean, there's just a ton of information and meat in Ephesians. And so we hope to look at some of this. But let me ask you the question. Reading this passage, knowing that Paul is the author, I ask the question, Paul, who was he? Who is Paul? Well, if you know your Bible, you know he once was Saul of Tarsus, Right? Turn with me again. Hold your spot. I know we're going back and forth here, but again, I'm trying to give you some good background. And now I want to give you some... I've given you some background on Ephesus. Now let me give you some background on Paul. Go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then, he, then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what is... Do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there, he was three days without sight, and neither ate. Nor drank. So here's Paul, a man who persecuted Christians. In fact, Paul was trained as a Pharisee. Um, You may remember this. He was trained as a Pharisee under the famous rabbi Gamaliel. Notice this, he was advancing in Judaism beyond many of his countrymen, being more extremely zealous for his ancestral traditions. Galatians 1.14 tells us that. He also, he heartily approved and assisted when the Jewish leaders stoned Stephen to death. After that, Paul had ravaged the church, entering homes and dragging off both men and women to put in prison and put to death. So how did Saul... A man like that become the Paul that we know. Well, God in his sovereignty intervened. Notice that passage of Scripture. You see what kind of man Saul was. Let me ask you this question. Was Paul looking to another religion? No. Was Paul looking for Jesus? No. He was looking for some Christians to kill. He was about as far away from becoming a Christian as a person can be. Until what happened? Until God sovereignly intervened. So you notice that he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Hmm. Can you imagine what kind of encounter that must have been like? Now, I know a lot of you, that's not your testimony. That's not exactly how you came to know Christ. But can I tell you a little bit more about my testimony? I wasn't looking for Christ. In fact, I was loving the sin that I was in. I was out there in the world and I was loving every bit of it. Until one night, I got put flat on my back. My world as I knew it bottomed out. And it was then that my eyes were opened. There can't this can't be all there is to life. There's got to be more. I know, in a sense, what it's like to not be looking and to have God grab hold of you and get your attention. And some of you may have a similar experience or story. But it took God shaking me and waking me. It took God shaking and waking Paul to get him to see his need. So Paul, who is he? Well, according to this Ephesians text, Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Verse 1, notice, Paul, an apostle. Now, an an apostle is a messenger, simply put, that's in its broadest sense. But clearly, Paul was especially called messenger for God. One of the 12, uh, he's been referred to as an apostle out of season. He was... Uh, one who had obviously seen the resurrected Lord and Savior. Um, but Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And when I think about that passage, when I look at this, as Paul begins, as he often begins, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Clearly, we see in the testimony of God working in, Paul, in, in Saul's life, transforming him to Paul. It was clearly God's will that He intervened. Now let me ask you this question. Who are you? Who are you this morning? You know? Are you a sinner? Are you a saint? Well, notice this passage. It continues on. Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus... And faithful in Christ Jesus. Do you know, Scriptures teaches that you and I, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we become saints? We are saints. Now this isn't like the Catholic Church has to do a vote and they can't make somebody a saint after they're dead and gone. No. When you repent of your sin and put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, you become a child of the King. You are a saint. And it's important for you and and I to understand who we are in Christ because it's not my sin that God sees. It's the righteousness of his Son. So don't negate who Christ is by denying who you are in him. You're a saint. And Paul is writing into this wicked culture, this wicked group of people, and he's telling them, You're saints. Saint in its definition means one who is set apart. You are set apart from this world. You are set apart unto God and unto godliness. Know who you are in Christ. The problem with most Christians today in the world is they don't know who they are in Christ. You have to know who you are in Him because it's only then that you can walk victorious through this life. You need to know this. You need to understand and believe this because this is clearly what God wants you to know. You're a royal priesthood. You're an ambassador. So act like it. Amen? Amen. Understanding who you are is important. He also says that they're faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, in a lot of earlier manuscripts, that word in Ephesus is not there, and it's believed because this was a circular letter. This this would have came into the port there in Ephesus, and it would have got circulated through all the churches in that area. So you can fill in Community Baptist Church. To the saints who are in Community Baptist Church and faithful in Christ Jesus. Are you faithful? Are you faithful this morning? We saw who Paul was when he was Saul. We saw who Paul became, an apostle. Who are you? Are you still that sinner? You've never came to that place of saving faith? Are you a saint? Well, let me ask you this. Who will you be? Who will you be? We have the history of what Paul became. And I want to leave you with this thought. You know where you're at this morning. Maybe you haven't had your road to Damascus experience. And it's my prayer today will be your day of salvation. Today, God will open your eyes to who He is and say, why are you fighting me? Surrender your life. There's so much He wants to do in and through you. Who will you be? Let's pray. Father, there's so much that we've got to look forward to in this book study. There's so many rich and deep truths. And Lord, I thank You for the time. I know it was a lot of groundwork that had to be laid. But Father, thank You for prompting my heart to to lay this groundwork down because it's important for us to understand Um, where we've came from so that we can know where we're going. And Lord, uh, clearly you worked in the Apostle Paul's life, transforming him by your sovereign intervention. Lord, there's no doubt someone here this morning, maybe by their lifestyle they've been willfully living in a way that's against you. Father, I pray right now by your sovereign hand, that you would prompt their heart. That the Holy Spirit of God would begin to woo them, to draw them. Because Father, your word says that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Lord, maybe there's someone here this morning that has never turned from their sin. They've never looked to Christ as their means of salvation. Lord, I ask and pray that this morning that you would do what only you can do and with no one looking around, maybe there's somebody here this morning. You'd be honest before God. You've never come to that place. You don't know the Lord in a personal way. I'd like to pray for you. If you're here this morning, and you'd be honest before God, say, Pastor, I don't know the Lord. In fact, if I were to die today, I, I, I don't know where I would go. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you slip your hand up real high and pull it back down? Pastor, I just don't know. Pray for me. The Spirit of God is speaking to your heart. No one's looking. Just slip your hand up and pull it down. Anyone? Father, you know the hearts of each person. Lord, there's no doubt that there's some here that have have maybe strayed in their walk. Lord, they... uh, They've walked away from where they once were. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them this morning that it doesn't matter how many steps away they've gone from you, it only takes one to return. Father, I pray this morning in their heart that they would relinquish the throne of their life, that they would recognize who they are in Christ Jesus. They're a saint. They have been set apart from this world, set apart by your sovereign hand, to glorify your name. Lord, may we live as a people who will exalt and magnify the name of Jesus Christ so that just as Paul did throughout the land, we too would do throughout this community. Father, help us to be your people. And we thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.